0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. It's an honor to be with you guys this morning. Hope you guys have been enjoying uh, the beautiful... Uh, weather that God has blessed us with for the last two weeks and I know I'm ready for summer and I'm also ready to meet and worship with you guys in person and my prayers is that we will be able to do that soon and just want you guys to know that the elders and the staff at the church are praying for you guys, especially those of you that have been severely affected with the coronavirus, people who have lost their jobs, and people who don't know what the future uh, looks like. Uh, we're praying for you, we're with you, and God will not forsake you or abandon you. <clears throat> and thanks to Blaine for uh, just sharing his story of compassion. And I think it's a story that uh, we need to be reminded of and something that we need to practice uh, in our lives uh, every day. And so uh, many weeks ago, uh, I preached on Joshua chapter 8. And so we will, I mean Joshua chapter 7. And this morning, I'll be preaching on Joshua chapter 8. And so in our study of Joshua, We enter the middle of a story. God has called his people out of slavery and into freedom. They have left, but they have not yet arrived. The journey has been difficult. Many have been lost along the way. Now they stand on the threshold. The promise is before them. What will it take to enter the promised land? Let's pray as we dig into the Word. Jesus, I pray for your Spirit that you touch our hearts wherever we are as we receive your message this morning. Thank you for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin Joshua chapter 8 this morning, I am reminded of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 which says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I've shared with you guys before, but I was a troubled child growing up, and I had a strong mom who will not let me get away with anything. I mean, I got all the whooping and the spanking that you can think of in your life. And every time my mom spanks me for doing something, she will come to me and say, Why do you think I spanked you? And I will always say, Because you hate me? (laughs) And she will laugh and say, No, I'm spanking you because I love you and you're my son. And I hated that answer, because that logic just didn't make sense. You don't spank the people you love, right? And I think most kids will agree with me. But as I got older and reflected on all the discipline that I received from my parents, it made sense. In Joshua chapter 7, right, God gave a command. When you conquer Jericho, don't take anything from it. That was the command. But then in Joshua chapter 7, when they went to defeat Ai, instead of being victorious, Israel was defeated. Why were they defeated? Because God's law was broken. Achan, one of the Israelites, stole what was supposed to belong to God, things that God wanted to be in his temple. So Achan stole what belonged to God. And as a result of his disobedience, Israel lost the battle. Many soldiers were killed. 30 soldiers actually were killed. And Achan's entire household was destroyed because he disobeyed. So the momentum Israel gained from their victory of Jericho was lost. From their defeat to I. And now they are filled with gloom and despair. But that is not the end. There is good news. In Psalms chapter 119. It says before I was afflicted. I went astray. But now I keep your word. That's verse 67. And then verse 72 says. And it is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your status. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your status. And so it was good for God to disobey, to punish the wrong for the disobedience. And then in chapter 8, this morning, we see the grace of God and the truth of restoration. Because defeat never has to be the end. They may, in fact, be the, be the beginning, If we will just respond to the grace of God as a loving and a caring heavenly fighter who works to produce spiritual growth and Christ like changes in us. And so let's dig in into uh, Joshua chapter 8 this morning. Starting from verse 1 Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the kings of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Except that you may carry off your plunder and livestock for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. So what's going on in this few verses? With the scene of Achan judge God's favor towards the nation was restored. And so the next thing we read here concerns God's new revelation to Joshua to both encourage him and to instruct him in how victory must be gained. The first words Joshua hears are do not be afraid or do not be dismayed. Remember, Joshua has heard these words before from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8 when he was handed the reign of leadership. And also, he had heard that from God also in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Do not be afraid for I will be with you. He heard that when he was commissioned to lead the people, to lead the promised land. You know, after the defeat at I, Joshua just wanted some reassurance that God was with him. And what better way to hear something that he has heard before? Do not be afraid from God. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. This reminds us that God is a comforter who comforts and encourages us through His words. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. God is a comforter. Remember, when Jesus was living and He told His disciple, I will send the Holy Spirit and He will be a comforter to you. That is the kind of God that we worship. And then in this few verses, God also gives Joshua directions. After comforting and encouraging Joshua, God gives him these instructions to follow. The first instruction is, do not make the same mistake twice. God's word to Joshua was to use all the fighting men of Israel. Remember in uh, Joshua chapter, uh, chapter 7, you know, the, the people encouraged Joshua because I was so much smaller. To like, just take two to three thousand soldiers, right? And they lost. So, though the primary cause of the defeat at I was aching sin, a secondary cause was underestimating the army, overestimating themselves, and presuming on the Lord. So they are now told to take all the fighting men and to go forward at God's command, trusting in the fact that it was God who would give them victory. That was the first instruction. The second instruction was for Joshua to turn the place of defeat into the place of victory. Joshua is told to again go up and attack Ai. He is to return to the place of defeat. But because Joshua and the people are in a right relationship with God now, because the sin of Achan has been judged, God promised that they could turn the place of defeat into a place of victory. And I know many of us this morning are longing for a place of victory after being defeated in so many ways uh, by Satan. And I am with you in that. The third instruction was, the basis of victory is always the same. The words, just as with Jericho, reminds us that victory at I will not only be as complete as that at Jericho, but that as with Jericho, it will come by the power of God, regardless of the strategy used God wants our place of defeat turned into places of victory. We are not to live with defeat or accept it as the norm for the Christian life. But as always, victory comes through faith in God's presence and provision. The fourth thing that God commanded Joshua to do was the spoils of victory can be kept by the people. Remember, in Jericho, God told them, you can't take anything, it belongs to me. And so, why can they now take the spoils of the war here at Ai? Because as the first fruits of the land, Jericho had been placed under the ban. God claimed the first fruit for himself. And that was why they couldn't take anything in Jericho. But this was not the case with I. You see, Achan's dissatisfaction and trust in the Lord for his need caused him to miss precisely what he longed for and much more. He wasted his life. One theologian says if only Achan had suppressed his greedy and selfish desires and obeyed God's word at Jericho, he would later have had all his heart had desired. God's blessing too. Achan missed out. And now the people can enjoy all the plunder of war because God had gotten the first fruit from the defeat at Jericho already. And then the fifth instruction God gives Joshua is a change in strategy. The strategy used with I differed entirely from that employed at Jericho. The Israelites did not march around the walls of I seven times, nor did the walls fall miraculously. This time, Israel was not directed to combat the city through normal combat. See, the lesson here is we should not expect God to work the same way or lead us the same way. We need to be open and sensitive to the various ways God may lead us. As the sovereign God of the universe, He is never limited to one method to accomplish His his purpose. So what was the strategy that Israel was supposed to employ on Ai? Go to verse 3 with me. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack I He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night. With these orders, listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Do not go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance to the city, and when the men come out against us as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. They will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when when we flee from them, you are to arise up from the ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it you have my orders. Then verse 9, Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered the army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Twelve, Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and sent them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their position with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night Joshua went into the valley. And so what was the strategy? The strategy for the capture of Ai was ingenious. It involved placing an ambush behind west of the city. God himself told Joshua to do this. And the outworking of this plan involved three detachment of soldiers. The first group was a commando-type warriors who were sent by night to hide on the west side of the city. Their mission was to rush into Ai and burn it after its defenders had deserted it to pursue Joshua and his army, as they had previously done. The second group was the main army, which walked the fifteen miles from Gilgal early the next morning and camped in plain sight on the north side of Ai, led by Joshua. This army was a deceptive force to bait the defenders of Ai to come out of the city and attack Israel. The third contingent was another ambush numbering about 5,000 men who were positioned between Bethel and Ai to cut off the possibility of reinforcement from Bethel to aid the men of Ai. So how did this strategy work? Starting in verse 14, When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel, who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, "Hold out toward I the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver this city." So Joshua held out towards the city, the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed towards rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites, who had been fleeing towards the wilderness, had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Verse 32, Those in the ambush who also came out of the city against them, so that they were cut in the middle, the Israelites on both sides, Israel cut them down, leaving neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. Verse 24, When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. Verse 28. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. So the plan worked. When the king of Ai saw Israel's army, he took the bait and pursued the Israelites who pretended to retreat in fear as they had done before. See, the men of Ai tried the same strategy against Israel. In our life struggle, we sometimes fail because we stick to the same old strategy, because it once worked. But we must learn to adapt and employ new strategies if we are to win our spiritual warfare. God directed Joshua to use a completely different strategy against I, and it worked. See, at the Lord's command, Joshua stretched out the javelin in his hand. And with this as a signal, the troops, hidden in ambush on the west side of the city, ran into the city and set it on fire. This left the men of Ai surrounded with no place to flee. And then Joshua and his men, with 5,000 hidden in ambush, all turned to fight the men of Ai. But before they could gather their wits, they were cut in a pincer movement of Israel's soldiers, and they were completely destroyed. The ambush worked really well. And then after killing all I soldiers, Israel's army re-entered the city and killed all its inhabitants. The dead soldiers and the citizens total about 12,000. And then they took plunder from the city as God instructed. And the city was a, was a city made of ruins. And then also, Ice King was hanged on a tree until evening. The king's body was taken off the tree at sunset because God's command from Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 22 to 28 was to take off the body from the tree so that they won't incur any uh, curses for themselves, and then the king was buried beneath a large, beneath a pile of stones, and this burial was the same exact burial that was given to Achan after he disobeyed God. Some of you, and I know I have, might be struggling with the complete destruction at Ai? And also, why hang the uh, the king? See, and I think it's a legitimate question to ask. And these are passages in the Old Testament that makes us really uncomfortable. Why do you have to destroy everyone at Ai? Why didn't you save the women or the children? The reason that I had to be completely destroyed, like Jericho and all the other Canaanite cities, was because the people of Ai had a chance to repent. But they chose not to. Remember like Jericho who heard about the mighty deeds of God in Egypt and how God had conquered Og and Zik, Right, The people of Ai also heard all of this But they also heard about what happened to Jericho, but instead of turning away from their evil deeds, they didn't. And that was why they had to be completely destroyed. But another significant reason why God wanted the total destruction of the Canaanite was in order for God to keep His people set apart. Remember, God chose a people for Himself to set them apart so that they can be a witness to the rest of the world, so that they can be His ambassadors. But for God to achieve that, it was necessary to eliminate anything that will hinder that from happening. How do we know that? In the book of Judges, Israel continues to conquer Canaan even after the death of Joshua. But what they failed to do in the book of Judges was to completely drive out the Canaanites as, as God had commanded them. And those Canaanites who remained turned Israel towards the worship of their idol gods, especially Baal and Ashtoreth. Right? And if you read the book of Kings, right, we see some of the bad kings you know, worshipping all the pagan gods of the Canaanite. You know, Doing child sacrifices and sleeping with each other and committing all kinds of sins. God wanted to avoid that. God knew that the Canaanites would not change in their ways. And in order for him to keep his people set apart, he had to destroy them. But even with that, he gave them many opportunities to repent and they were not willing to. Their heart was hardened. They loved their sins so much that there was no way for them to turn. And that was why God wanted complete destruction. Remember King Solomon, one of the greatest kings of Israel who started really well? What happened to him? He started worshipping pagan gods he started worshipping the gods of his wives. This was what God was trying to avoid with Israel, and that was why he said, completely destroy them. Also, you may be wondering, why did they have to hang the king, right? Well, this was common practice in Near Eastern culture. Actually, the Canaanites did even much worse, right? Because sometimes during war, you know, they will cut off the head of the king and take it to the uh, city and march around with the head. And sometimes they'll even gouge the eyes and the ears and the mouth of the soldiers to show their people how victorious they were. And so Israel wasn't even as close to doing what the Canaanites did after they defeated the city. And another reason for why the king was hanged was so that the other nations that Israel was about to conquer will see and know that this was what was coming to them if they didn't repent. You know, Rome did the same thing during the time of Jesus. You know, they will crucify thousands of people and just leave them hanging so that the en- their enemies Will see the might of Rome and learn from that. In a way, it was the same thing uh, that was going on here. So I is completely defe- defeated, the king is killed, and Jericho has taken over the city. What happens next? Starting in verse 30, then Joshua builds on Mount Ebal and an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses: an altar of uncut stones, on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt, burnt offering and sacrifice, fellowship offerings. Verse 32. There, in the presence of the Israelite, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the Law of Moses. All the Israelites with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the Lord Savant had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the men and the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. After a great victory, you expect Israel to be rejoicing and you know enjoy all the plunder that they got from I, But instead, Joshua led the Israelites on a spiritual ceremony because Moses had commanded it, right? We see Joshua being a man of the book of the law because God told him, Do not let the book of the law depart from you. Meditate on it day and night. And after a great victory, we see Joshua doing, doing just that. Joshua led the entire nation, men, women, children, and cattle from the camp at Gilgal northward up the Jordan Valley to the place specified by Moses, the mountains of Ebal and Gerizim, which are at Shechem. This was a march of about 25 to 30 miles. And also this location is important because these mountains are in the geographic center of the land. And from each peak of Ebal and Gerizim, much of the promised land can be seen. So here then is a place that represented all the land, both at the time of entrance into Canaan and when Joshua's leadership was ending. But also, at one place where the mountains came close together, there was a natural amphitheater. This place had outstanding acoustical acoustical properties. And one person standing on one mountain can be easily heard by someone standing on the other side of the mountain. And what happened on the mountains? Three ceremonies were performed. First, an altar of uncut stones was erected on Mount Ebal, and sacrifices consisting of burnt offerings and fellowship offerings offered to the Lord. See, Jericho and Ai, in which false gods of Canaanites were worshipped, had fallen. Israel not publicly worshipped and proclaimed her faith in the one true God. Who is strong and powerful of defeating his enemies. Second, at the same place on Ebal, Joshua set up large stones on their surfaces and he wrote a copy of the Law of Moses. Now, we're not sure what Law of Moses he wrote. Some theologians said he wrote the Ten Commandments or the Laws in Deuteronomy in which Moses gave Joshua an heart to lead the people. We're not sure about what law, but Joshua wrote a copy of the law of Moses. And then the third thing he did was, Joshua read the law to the people. Half of the people were positioned on the slopes of Mount Gerizim to the south, and the other half were on the slopes of Mount Ebal to the north. And the Ark of the Covenant, surrounded by the priest, was in the valley between. And so you have half of the people on each side of the mountain and the Ark of the Covenant and the priest in the middle. And then what happened was, as the curses of the law were read one by one, the tribes on Mount Evil responded, Amen. And then as the blessings were likewise read on Mount Gerizim, The people responded, Amen. Mount Ebal stood for cursing. And Mount Gerizim stood for blessings. See, this event between the two mountains was a huge object lesson. What happened to the Israelites in the land was going to depend on where they lived. As it were on Mount Ebal... And disobedience and under the curses of Mount in obedience and under God's blessings and I encourage you to read Deuteronomy chapter 28 dear God listed all the blessings that Israel was to enjoy if they obeyed and all the curses that will fall on them if they disobey. So please read Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28 so that it will give you context of what I'm talking about. One theologian writes about this. From this point on, the history of the Jews depended on their attitude towards the law, which had been read in their hearing that day. When they were obedient, there was blessing. When they were disobedient, there was judgment. And the truth of this object lesson was actually demonstrated, right? In Jericho, where they were obedient, they won. But with I, in Joshua chapter 7, one, Achan stole and disobeyed God's command, they lost that victory. And so God made a covenant with His people. God said, I will give you this promised land, but it has a condition. If you obey Me, you will have the promised land. If you disobey me, you will be conquered. So what are some of the lessons that we learn from this passage? The first one is, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Achan disobeyed God. The people disobeyed God because one man's sin affected the community of Israel. But what they did was, they dealt with the sin just as God instructed them. And they repented. And God was faithful and just to forgive them because He gave them (laughs) victory at I. And it applies to us today too. If we confess our sins to one another and to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness like he did to Israel. The second lesson that we have to learn is disobedience has consequences. I heard a woman who once says that God is a bad whooping God. When we sin, we face some consequences, right? Like me growing up, when I did anything wrong, I got spanked from it, right? And we We like to think of God as a loving, caring, gracious Father. Yes, God is those things too. But also, God is scary. right? God is holy. God is truth to His words. God wants us to obey His commands. And when we don't, we see the other side of God. Achan learned that the hard way. Israel did too. And it doesn't matter if you are his or not. Right? Achan, who was an Israelite, disobeyed God and was punished. Him and his household were destroyed. Jericho and I, Canaanite cities, who didn't care for God, who were very wicked in their own ways, were also perished. I mean, were also destroyed because they didn't obey God. And so disobedience has consequences. And we need to be careful to obey the commands of God. The third lesson we learn from this passage is Moses gave the command to build an altar on Mount Ebal, the place where the curses for disobedience were to be read. See, the altar was for sinners. It was for those who acknowledge their sin and who will come not as righteous, but as sinners to the place of sacrifice. Yes, we continue to obey. We struggle to be holy. And I think recognizing that we are sinners is a good thing. Because until you recognize that you are sick and sinful, Healing can come after that. And then the last lesson that we learned from this story is, the altar was constructed of uncut stones without any human workmanship. Remember where the the altar that they uh, made the sacrifices? God told them that to use uncut stones. This was a complete negation of humanism and salvation by works. It shows that human beings can add nothing to the work of God for salvation. It is all by grace through the work of Christ. And this becomes a strong reminder that we must recognize that our sinfulness hinders us from God. And that we must come to God as sinners. Like Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says. And then we must come to the place of sacrifice the cross. Acknowledging our need for another to die in our place who is Jesus. Because on our own we cannot save ourselves. And then lastly we must repudiate our human works for salvation. Recognize that there is nothing we can do or add to the work of God's substitute. For our sin, the person and work of Christ. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good on our own. And that's why me, you must recognize and appreciate what Christ had done on the cross. Because on the cross, he said, It is finished, and the cross is enough for you and me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Your word in which you rebuke, you instruct, you correct. Your word which is a mirror for us to reflect on. Thank you for passages like Joshua 8 and some of the hard passages in scriptures. Lord, thank you that we have all of them to learn from them. Most of all, thank you for grace. We fail, we continue to sin, we fall short. But you remain faithful and forgiven and merciful and graceful to us. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for being a good God and a good Father. We praise and worship you this morning. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.